the good news is you don't have to get rid of any of these things because what you're going to do is you're going to identify who you are in relationship to it and realize that the problem is not my perfectionism or my belief I should be perfect, but my problem is that I am agreeing with that. You know, just like my problem is not that I have alcoholism. The problem is I agree and obey. Bill Wilson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, wrote in 1952, if we examine every disturbance we have, great or small, we will find at the root some unhealthy dependence and its consequent demand. Wilson suggested that if we could identify and continually surrender these unrealistic and unrealizable demands, that we may then be able to accomplish what he imagined to be the recovery's next frontier, something he called emotional sobriety. Flash forward 70 years and join psychotherapists and best-selling authors Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger, who have taken up the mantle of exploring Bill Wilson's new frontier. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety, the podcast. I'm Tom Rutledge, and with me is Dr. Alan Berger. Doctor? Hi, Tom. Good, good to be here with you, and and hi, Patrick. Nice to have you here. Great to see you both. Yeah, we're recording. We're recording this early, earlier than usual. So I was telling Patrick, I think it's good that we're all in our jammies. Yes. <laughs> For those that are listening, though, and not seeing, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not in like silken, you know, silken lace or anything like that. It's just a sweatshirt and a white T-shirt. Very, uh, very Spartan. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're not telling the truth. Those are Dr. Zeus pajamas. That you're <laughs> I think it's nice that it all matches. I, I love that. It's like in, in the footies. Those are cute. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You got to coordinate. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, well, because we're going to we're talking about perfection, uh, perfectionism today. So, you know. Once once we once we help people out of perfectionism, they will begin to mismatch their jimmies. That's right. That's the first clue. When you hang up, go mismatch your jammies. <laughs> Our first tip of the day, mismatched. Yeah. Or that could that could just be a good I like to invent new expressions, you know, like a friend of mine liked uh, we do that sometimes. Like we we invented the expression, well, I'll be Johnny Depp's goat. And, and and we love to say it that way, you know, in a, in a way that other people kind of go like, I think I'm supposed to know what that means. But but but, you know, I think we could also come out of this one and say, like, like, you know, well, you might as well be mismatching your jammies, you know, so there you go. That, but and a new one. We got a new phrase. That's, <laughs> this is what happens when we're talking early, I guess. Well, listen, let's jump right into this, because we did offer some people. We teased people with some mm -hmm. and offer practical suggestions. Absolutely. Let's do that. How to deal with that in, in, you know, I have a few and I'm sure you do. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, yep. one of the first things that I think is important is to think of yourself as having different self parts. Mm -hmm. Is it, you call it the myth of singularity, mm -hmm. you know, just not one self we're one person with many selves mm -hmm. and and one of part in every person that i've talked to is they have a part of them that's perfectionistic mm -hmm. and that this is a part i was just working with a young lady who's a very promising tennis player 
on Saturday, and she is a nervous wreck when she goes to play a match. And I had her separate herself because that's one of the things you and I do when we're working Mm -hmm. with somebody in a Mm -hmm. session is we have them separate themselves from that one part that they're struggling with. So I had Mm -hmm. her go into a dialogue with this. And this part, no wonder why she's nervous. I was nervous when I was sitting there listening to what this part was doing to her. You can't make any mistakes. You've got to hit every ball as hard as you can hit it. You know, you got to win every point. You know, uh, losing is not an option. You have to win every match. I mean, she was well, nervous. Well, one thing I was going to say is, Alan, in terms of that, and you probably you may have done this too, but sometimes what I'll do because you're absolutely you're absolutely right that that you can have just a, just immense empathy for somebody when you really separate that out and they see what see what they're dealing with, and and I think that helps people to see if they let somebody witness it. It matters. And one of the things I'll do sometimes is I'll ask their permission to sit in their chair and just not to, not to, not to say anything but just to feel it and just, and I really ask, and sometimes people are a little bit hesitant to be, to, to be that mean to us because they're, they're therapists. But it's like, if I see somebody who I think has the ability to kind of really get into that, to that uh, scene, it's like, I just go ahead and go ahead and let me have it just like you would, just like this part would, if it were you. And it's like, man, the feedback we can get out, out of, give to people out of that to be able to say like, this is what I felt. This is what I, and the truth is, like you said, it's not just, it's not just vicariously watch it. It's like, we really do feel it. These are, these are very powerful should messages inside right. and they're, and, 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 and through repetition, they have gained cr- tremendous authority. And so one of so, and I, and I may be hijacking, I may be stepping on your first tip, but my, my, that tip, a tip I would toss in there is, is do not minimize, you know, don't, don't minimize how powerful these messages are. You know, give yourself, give yourself the, the, give yourself the empathy that says, of course, I'm having a hard time with this because this is a very, very relentless, relentless. and sometimes cruel process. Yes. Relentless is the right word. And, and you know, and I think you and I would also agree on this. So, so get the tip now. So mm-hmm. understand, see that part of you as one part of you, not as all of you, because when you're fused with it, and there's no distance between you or separation between you and that part, you're not going to be able to see some possibilities in terms of coping with it. You're, it's right. what we say is you're too close to the problem. You know, right. you're just too close to the problem to be able to get any kind of perspective. So as soon as you separate now, separating yourself can happen a couple of different ways. If you were in the office with Tom and I, we'd have you sit in a chair. We may have you, you know, Uh, describe yourself as the perfectionist. I'm, I'm Alan's perfectionist and go into a whole description of what you do to Alan, et cetera, et cetera. Another way to do this is to close your eyes. If you're driving right now, please don't close your eyes. (laughs) Do not close your eyes. If you're driving well, and if you're on the LA freeway, you can close your eyes because you're not going anywhere (laughs) on the LA freeway. You can do this, but if you're not on the LA freeway, then don't close your eyes. Do this when you go home. We're, we're, we're here to demonstrate that perf- you do not have to do anything perfectly because we don't come close. Okay. <laughs> so you can close your eyes and imagine if that perfectionist side of you was a caricature. Mm-hmm. What would it look like? 
what would it what would its qualities be you know what how what what shape and form would it have how big would it be then have yourself imagine yourself in relationship to it you know or is it a lot bigger than you are you bigger than it what colors does it have so another way of starting to deal with this is to project into your IMAX screen in your head, right? Mm -hmm. Into your mind's theater. You know, project the image of this part of you. And and then we're going to play with it. See, then you can start to do things like make it smaller. Smaller, yeah. That's what what I was doing. It's amazing. Make it bigger. Make it bigger. Mm -hmm. Make it smaller. Start to play with it. Start Mm -hmm. to change Mm -hmm. the size of it, the width of it. Mm You know, make it really wide, then make it real skinny, change its color. See, all of these things you can do with just some mental imagery. And what you start to do is when you take charge of it this way, you start to change at a very, very deep level your relationship with this part of you. Mm -hmm. You start to realize at both a conscious level and even more importantly, at an unconscious level, that you have some control over this side of you instead of it being in control of you all the time. See, that's what all of these things do is when we get people into a dialogue with this, they realize they don't have to be victims of this part of them or whatever part it is. The alcoholic self, the perfectionist self, the doubting self, the, you know, well, those the, kinds of. Yeah, and what you're, and I want to emphasize something you just said. It's it, it, because if you're if you're if you're dealing with perfectionism, then you need to really hear this part, which which is by doing an exercise like what Alan's describing, which is, is in Alan's case, it's based clearly on the fact that he did so damn much LSD uh, in, in in the old days, where he is he, make it bigger, make it colorful, make it. <laughs> I'm going, oh, my God. Expand into the universe. We're going to have to intervene on Alan. It's like, but but not perfectly. But no, the thing that you you guys were changing colors as I was talking. I love that. I love that. And later, later we find out we can do it without telling me. I'm, I'm actually in a flashback, you guys, and I was just okay. sharing well, some of the imagery. Uh, I love it. Well, the other <laughs> thing you you learn that the the mind expanding things that we did in those days. Hey, turns out we can kind of we can kind of do that stuff anyway without we, we may not need the drugs. It's uh, but the thing you said is you begin to make to change it. So one of the things I find that working with people who whether you name it as perfectionism or not, but have have a very relentless to use that word again that relentless perfectionist it's like is you'll they'll try an exercise and then they will say well that didn't really change that much you know maybe it does the first time but but it's like it didn't really change it so so i guess that doesn't work you know but that that would that's that's a little bit like taking an antibiotic and saying well that first pill didn't help me it's like like you know you this this is a this is a beginning of a shift of a practice and one of the things that alan's talking about is is one of the major shifts we're doing when we just do the, the differentiation, the separation thing is we're reminding we're giving you a place to remind yourself or sometimes discover for the first time that there is a you in there, too. 
It's like because what happens is what happens when we when we pull that empty chair out or a lot of times we also do it with I was going to say you can also do a lot of this with written dialogue. You can you know use your creative mind and and do dialogues between these two parts and and just really witness what you know what it is. But what happens about that is we're shifting you from really what I, I think of is just possession to relationship, because ultimately when we're in our crap, like you said, alcoholism could be part of that part in, in you know, self-hatred, but, it, and this is certainly associated with self-hatred with the perfectionist. We only are hearing that one voice. We're not even, we don't even remember at that time that we can respond. And what I always want to point out to people is you are responding, even if you're not responding, because that means, you know, your silence, your silence is the agreement. And this is one of the most important parts about separation. We don't know how to get rid of any of these, these culprits in our heads. We know that some of them will change. Some of them actually are, are will be affected by therapy. There's lots of variables that are there, but, but the bad news is you can't get rid of it. The good news is you don't have to get rid of any of these things because what you're going to do is you're going to, identify who you are in relationship to it and realize that the problem is not my perfectionism or my belief I should be perfect, but my problem is that I am agreeing with that. You know, just like my problem is not that I have alcoholism. The problem is I agree and obey. We are teaching people to to discern and, and be discerning about when and how to disagree with themselves. And it's like when you understand that we are many, like you said, one one set, one, one person, many selves. There, there's no, there's no group that we don't. We have to have tolerance, and we have to have an ability to disagree. And somebody needs to be in charge, and that's going to be the person who is able to, and I wrote it down this way, perfectionism, name it and claim it and put it on your list to, to, of problems to be solved. Now, I want to repeat that and tell you why I'm doing that. Name it and claim it and put it on the list of problems to be solved, because I think among above all other things that we talk to people about, when people talk about perfectionism, they, we we, we, I certainly have in the past, so I'll put the we in there. We tend to talk about it just as if we're acknowledging it, but not actually even owning the fact that we can do something about it. You know, this is a problem that not only can be solved, it, it needs to be solved. Your relation, your dysfunctional relationship with your perfectionism is going to I mean, well, first of all, it could kill you, but but in the meantime, it takes all the damn fun out of your life. Yep. It really does. And look, and, and the other thing is, is, is to understand that there's no bad part. Yeah. See, it it's this part is yes, it's it's Bill Wilson call it calls it instincts gone awry, right? It's yeah. it's mm-hmm. way it's way out of balance. Right there, you know, you heard us say in previous podcasts is that it's nothing wrong with striving for perfection as long as you don't fool yourself into thinking you can achieve it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so wanting to do the best you can is is an important thing. And when it attaches itself, I'm going to give my best effort here. That's a great thing to do. Give your best effort when mm-hmm. when 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 that's important to you. But you need to be in charge of this thing. It, Instead of it being in charge of you. And that's what Tom is saying. See, we're reversing the relationship. Instead of that part being commanding you, 
and telling you what you should be doing. We're getting rid of the shoulds. And what we're doing is to say, let me look at this situation and see what's appropriate and makes sense. You know, right. I can't be perfect in this, you know, in this time. There's, I have moments when I've done something that I feel really good about, but that's yeah. not all the time. And enjoy that, right? I mean, look, right. sometimes you write a sentence, and I know you feel mm-hmm. this as an mm-hmm. author. Mm-hmm. Say, man, I would not do anything to change that sentence. Yeah is exactly what I want it to be. I found okay. one of them in my book. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, pro- I probably could find several of those in that last book you wrote. You know what that, I mean? I, you're right. But even in yeah. your books, I could read a sentence yeah. and I say, man, this is golden. I mean, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. wonderfully constructed sentence conveys a lot of meaning. I mean, mm-hmm. we're able to... Now, wait, wait a minute. What do you mean by even in one of my books? I, what? <laughs> Your books. I'm sorry, it was the wrong use of language. In many of your books, I meant to say. In all of your books, I can find a gem. Lots of gems. He, he took that personally. No, no I got it. I, I take it personally. That's right. It's and, like, it's like, and, yeah. but, but see, I'm not speaking perfectly. So that's a great example right, of it, right. right? No, but but what you're what you're talking about, though, is I mean, it's so it's so important because because it's like you're you're actually talking about something that I think is really cool. And, you know, and and keep in mind, everybody who's listening, it's it's like that we're we're speaking in generalities because we're teaching, you know, in general. But but it's it's like so. So yours may be specifically different. And and that's why we need somebody maybe to walk through this with you and do and and kind of figure it out because everybody's a little bit different. But the idea is when you're talking about changing the relationship. I had not ever thought about it this way, Alan, until you just said that is in a way the perfectionism can become a kind of a, a consultant on the, on the committee that basically, you know, tells, you know, and I, when you were talking about that, that, you know, you don't take it literally. I thought, I think about Casey Kasem you know, and many people who are younger won't remember him, but he's, his, his tagline at the end of his pr- uh, programs was, was, was keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. It's like, Nobody actually did that. Nobody actually tried to to reach for the stars. And if you and when we're reaching for the stars, we don't expect to touch a star. It's like we understand that's so I like the idea you're talking about. Use perfection as a sense of direction. You know, go. I'm moving that way. That's right. That's right. And you just guys, you just heard the birth of another Tom's nutshell. What? Use perfection to find direction. Oh my God! I'm right there. Use perfection to find direction. <laughs> Love it when therapy the, rhymes. Uh, you know, you, it can point the way, but you you know, but it doesn't mean right. So it's pointing the way. Let's take mm-hmm. it as compass and that's yeah. how we want to think about this side of it. It can be informative. Mm-hmm. It can be. Mm-hmm. Right. It can be a, a strong, strong motivation. There's no question about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm a big tennis nut. You know that. Mm-hmm. I know you, mm-hmm. you played mm-hmm. the game. Well, and people were talking about uh, Fire and Ice, Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe. Yeah. Yeah. And they did this whole documentary on the two of them, but they never asked the answered the question that I think was an important question to answer, which was how come they both stopped playing tennis when they did? And the reason is 
that I believe, at least mm-hmm. as a psychologist, mm-hmm. a sports psychologist, and looking at this thing, is that there's different kinds of goal motivations, right? Way that we orient ourselves to a goal. Mm-hmm. One orientation is I got to be number one, the best at what I'm doing, mm-hmm. right? So both Borg and McEnroe at, at, at certain points in their career were number one. There was no one better. Mm-hmm. Borg hung up his racket when he realized I'm never going to beat this guy. This guy's game is just mixes with my game in a way where he's, he's better than me. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, Borg quit playing competitive tennis. He didn't show up. He came back at one point later on, tried it, but threw in the towel on that. Mm-hmm. Same thing happened with, with uh, McEnroe. Yvonne Lendo comes along mm-hmm. and he's this maniac guy who brings the athleticism of the sport up to a whole new level. And, you know, Mac was a great athlete, but very natural athlete. Mm-hmm. He didn't work like Lendo worked mm-hmm. on it. And it got to a point where McEnroe was not going to ever beat Lendo. And McEnroe left the game. And see, mm-hmm. both of them had that orientation. If I can't be number one, why bother? There's no more motivation. So it's an incredible motivation when you get to number one. But when you lose it, your motivation's gone. There's nothing that keeps you in the game. The other motivation is more like what I have. I go out to just see if I how well I can do that day. <laughs> I'm focused on the process, not the outcome. Those guys are focused on the outcome. They're very attached. I got to be number one. I try to get out there with the attitude. I want to see how well I can hit my forehand today. I want to make adjustments. That orientation is also very powerful, but the difference is it's not as fragile. Mm-hmm. So it's people like you see um, Roger Federer. He's mm-hmm. not going to be number one in the world again. He's up in his 30s right now, mm-hmm. but he loves playing the game. He loves mm-hmm. seeing what he can do at 36 years old. He's totally focused on process. Mm-hmm. And it's such an interesting thing is is that if, and this is where perfectionism comes in. I think it's the perfectionism that gets those guys to set that thing up. I got to be number one. They get attached to that idea. Their self-esteem is based on that idea. And if they can't have it, they got nothing. And that's the danger with perfectionism. It creates an absolute world. Let me, let me, let me, let me, I'm not a sports psychologist. Don't play one on, on the podcast, but let me, let me add to that. It it is now knowing neither one of the, these gentlemen that that you're talking about that, that, the um, um, when they walked away, it's like the other way to look at that, the other possibility to, to look at it is too, is that, yes, there was perfectionism in that there was, you know, I, and I always loved the, I think it was Stephen Covey who, who termed, who coined the term, you know, strive for, don't strive for perfection, strive for excellence. And I, and I always, I always loved that. And it's, it, it, but, but I, if, if I imagine myself, if I think of the, if I'm going to assume mental health in each of these guys that you're describing is, the idea is they also walked away after they had accomplished what they wanted to accomplish. They had done it because perfectionism tells us we always have to do it. See, that's you, you know, the perfect sentence you're talking about. I love writing the perfect sentence or we can write the, we can, for us, we can write the, even write the perfect chapter of something, but it's like the, the perfectionism is the one that says your greatest achievement is always your minimal expectation from here forward. It's like, it does not understand. It does not give a shit about 
about the fact that we're human beings and so many different variables are in play in terms of our level of competence at any given time. So the idea is if McEnroe was number one at one time, but the, but it understood that he wasn't going to be at number one at all times. Uh, yep. you, you know, you say I'd been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I gotta go, you know? Yeah. You know who did that? Pete Sampras did that. Yes. Um, I think that would be too kind to put on board at Mac. But Pete Sampras was this guy. He comes back. He wins the U.S. Open when nobody thought he'd win it. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, he says, you guys, I'm done. I've achieved. And you can see it in the interview afterwards. Mm -hmm. See, that's the difference. In the interview afterwards, he wasn't going to talk to anybody. He was pissed. He was angry. Mm -hmm. He said, oh, my God, I got bumped. Same thing with Matt with Borg. Mm -hmm. He just disappeared. Mm -hmm. He didn't go to the press conference or anything. Mm-hmm. The difference is Sampras did exactly what you talked about. He shows mm-hmm. up. He says, God, this is it, man. I, I couldn't be happier with myself and stuff like that. I'm done with the game now. I've done okay. everything I want. So you're right. When you so do- that's what we want. That's what we want to strive for. We want to we want to strive, right. we, we want to strive. Right. We want to strive for being the person and 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 to be the person that like what you're t- what you're talking about when you go out to play tennis is like what you're saying is really a version of well it is it is us uh, the version of how we practice emotional sobriety in the fact in the fact that basically it is. I'm going to to focus on my own self improvement. I'm going to be. I'm going to work on being my personal best. Uh, and yours, and the way you're doing it, you're not even saying my personal best all around. You're saying I'm. I'm really today. I'm really focused on my backhand. You know, I'm really going to see what I can do with that. And and it's like that's a way of under seeing ourselves compassionately as we are building skills. And those skills can be your backhand, but they can also be, I'm going to be a kinder person today, or I'm going to be a more assertive person today, or, you know, whatever that is. I'm going to bring more awareness to my life today. You know what I mean? I'm I'm going to pay attention to, 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 I'm going to bring 5% more awareness to my relationship with my partner. You know, all of these things are very important. So, yeah, so you're right. So some days go out there and go, my goal today is to get one ball over the net. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you said, Tom. Yeah, and yeah. you know, we like to set goals like that. Hey, I got it. Anything else after the, this? Well, you and you and I talk about it a lot. And I mean, people think we're joking when we first say it, and it's it's easy to mistake that we're joking, <laughs> but it's like uh, but we're serious about this. The power of lowered expectations. It's like the, the because the way the way you achieve greater expectations is by achieving lower expectations. The way you get to a to, to the first landing on the staircase is by taking the steps up, not 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 by, by thinking you're supposed to be able to broad jump up to the first landing it's like so i you know and and, and i and before we do today i want to be sure i should go back and, and emphasize because this is the thing i was thinking about since i woke up this morning uh thinking what we were going to do today is how many people how often i have seen people just kind of just per, easily just put in oh yeah i'm a perfectionist i you know i have these horrible expectations of myself this kind of stuff but they're not thinking of it as something they can do something about it's like we're here to tell you and and, and i mean and and the truth is we, we don't have to say oh this is well we don't have to have a continuation of this particular podcast because everything we're talking about in this addresses this because it's about how we have a compassionate relationship with ourselves. Right. That's what we want is a compassionate mm-hmm. relationship with ourselves. Yeah. We want to be on our side, not on our back. <laughs> That's right. another way I like yeah. to say it. 
Stand yeah. at your side, on your back, mm-hmm. stand for yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't stand against anyone. Those are mm-hmm. things that we're striving for. Tinge your life, tinge your myth. Cultivate your narrative with whomever you're with. Then with glass in hand and children on one knee. Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me. It ain't a crime to be a human Never be ashamed to be yourself Rest assured that whatever you're doing Will entertain me like nobody else So here's to us, my old friends Until it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again With glass in hand and children Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me.